Welcome to the DE Talk podcast. Tune in for dialogue between HR experts to amp up your HR strategies. Don't worry, we'll mix in a few laughs as we know you need it. Hello, I'm Candy Chambers, and you're listening to another episode of the DE Talk podcast. Season two has been filled with engaging conversations about the future of talent acquisition, whether it's human or AI driven, disability education and accessibility, military caregivers, creation of strength-based culture, cultures, and most recently, an episode from our Recruit Rooster team talking about employer branding and creative development. Today, we'll bring another element to the podcast as I welcome Carol Glazer, president of the National Organization on Dis- Disability, or NOD, N-O-D, to discuss the work that they do representing America's 61 million people with disabilities and the resources available to help employers put ability to work. Of course, we couldn't have this conversation without sharing a detailed look at the organization's disability employment tracker, which works to benchmark a company's performance in disability and veteran inclusion. I'm happy to call Carol a friend and have watched over the years as she has transformed NOD into the country's premier resource on disability and inclusion through this disability employment tracker, its corporate leadership council, and its professional advisory services helping companies with talent acquisition. Direct Employers has been a partner of NOD, I always want to say NOD, um, since 2012, and I'm happy to say that we also participate on the Corporate Leadership Council, but I'll save that for later in our conversation. Welcome to the DE Talk podcast, Carol. Thank you, Sandy. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm very excited about this conversation. I'm going to jump right in with some questions for you. Terrific. Love it. (laughs) I believe we met early on in my time at Direct Employers, and I'm thankful for that because I consider you to be a friend and a true force in the disability and inclusion space. I want to start out by having you share a little bit about yourself. So tell me a little bit about your background and what led you to NOD all these years ago. You know, I've I've really um, had a career fighting for social justice. And it goes all the way back. Uh, I'll date myself. I am a boomer. Uh, <laughs> well, but too. it goes all the way back to, oh, there we go, like-minded people. So you'll understand some of the things that happened over those years that I'll talk about when many, many people weren't even born yet. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the, in the 1960s, uh, I became active in the civil rights movement. And it was a time of, of reckoning for our country around social justice issues. Uh, around issues of race and class, uh, about the right for people to speak out uh, for or against policies they believed in, to uh, hold our elected officials uh, accountable uh, for the things that uh, got them into office in the first place. Uh, And in many ways, it was a very positive time for this country and for our democracy. So it was a privilege to start in the civil rights movement and then move into the anti-poverty movement, which really was a direct outgrowth uh, of that. And uh, fast forward, uh, and then there was the women's movement. And, you know, I've always been privileged to be able to not only participate in those movements, but also to be, uh, to have them as part of my career. Uh, And most of my career was spent in the anti-poverty movement fighting uh, for neighborhoods that had been ripped apart in, in arson and in civil wow. unrest in the that. 1960s. 
so that's where I started going all the way back to the 1970s and the 1980s. Disability for me really came later in my career. I had two children, uh, one of whom has both physical and intellectual disabilities. Uh, and that's really what brought me uh, to the disability rights movement. But that really wasn't until 2005 when the opportunity came to come and help NOD. And I did that as a consultant. Wow. Okay. I, you know, Carol, I, you just taught me some things. I have to tell you, though, interestingly enough, um, <laughs> when I was in college, I think I was a freshman or a sophomore, and we had Phyllis Shafley and Gloria Steinem come and speak. Oh, mm-hmm. so yeah. <laughs> I knew you'd know those names when you said oh, the women's yeah. movement. My goodness, and yeah. and you know, I was I was a young college student, and to hear two opposite views of of what a woman should seek to do in their lives was was really eye-opening for me you know eye-opening for it, sure it really was yeah. interesting so yeah we'll have to talk about that sometime yeah. <laughs> outside of the podcast <laughs> absolutely i look forward to it candy that would be yeah. fun so we recently had you participate um or nod um participate in one of our reach out for happy hours which is uh, where our members learn that nod is the oldest disability organization in the united states which mm-hmm. is a pretty incredible accolade uh to be able to tout, and um, I know it's in, evolved greatly over the years. So why don't you share yeah. a little bit about uh, about the history of the organization and what the initial goal sure. was when it began? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and just to, to continue a little bit about my history, because that is really uh, becomes very tied with NOD's history as well. Um, when the opportunity for me came to come and work for NOD and I was initially enlisted as a consultant, I really thought long and hard about whether I wanted to live disability 24-7 because my son Jacob was now 28, uh, was somebody I've been fighting for, for his rights as mm-hmm. a person with a disability uh, and have been an advocate for really since he was born. But when the opportunity came, uh, I... I actually went home after talking to uh, our vice chair of the board about the opportunity. I turned on Geraldo Rivera's expose of the conditions at Willowbrook State Hospital, one of the the, um, famous institutions where I knew my son Jacob would have been sent had he been born 10 or 15 years uh, earlier than he was. That's when mothers had no other choice Mm -hmm. uh, but to give up their children, uh, for the most part, give up their children to go and live in these deplorable conditions uh, that were um, happily that were brought to light by Geraldo Rivera, probably, Mm -hmm. if I can editorialize on his last piece of good (laughs) stuff. But anyway, um, and he did win a Peabody Award for that segment, as, as well he should have, but it really came clear to me that those mothers before me had fought for the rights that my child had to live with me at home. And it was really that night and then watching that expose that made me realize that I had to go join that fight to join with mothers and join with others to ensure a good quality of life uh, for people with disabilities. And NOD, as the oldest cross-disability organization uh, in the country, there are others who have been around for longer, but they're usually dedicated to one disability or another. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
But NOD was created in 1982, and that's almost a decade before the ADA. So the disability rights movement, following along in the wake of the civil rights movement, was really in its infancy at that point. And NOD jumped in, created by a firebrand man who had uh, been in a diving accident and become a quadriplegic at the age of 30. Uh, and took a lot of talent and drive that he had and channeled it into the disability rights movement and created NOD. And in those early years, it was everything from uh, fighting for curb cuts, fighting Mm -hmm. for access to buildings, fighting for access to churches and theaters, uh, fighting for a good education. Uh, Deinstitutionalization, of course, was very much alive during that time. Yeah, NOD came along as a bipartisan organization and really doing whatever needed to be done and whatever was important during those years of, of the disability rights movement. And it was a little bit after the beginning of 2000 that the organization looked around, used to do Harris Gap surveys uh, by the firm of, of Harris Interactive and looking at the gaps between people with and without disabilities and all kinds of quality of life uh, indicators. The one gap that just kept repeating itself over and over is the gap in employment between people with and without disabilities. And our board, which is primarily a corporate board, corporate boards like Focus, (laughs) the board decided to divest of everything that NOD had done prior to that and pretty much bet the ranch on the employment issue. And that's uh, where I came along to help the organization really transform itself. Uh, And it's been a, (laughs) it's been more than a decade. uh, And this is a movement that is in some ways following behind many other uh, movements. uh, And it's been more than a decade, but I just have a feeling now that as a field and as a movement, uh, we're coming into our own and we're ready to tackle the employment issue. Well, you know what, Carol, I think you're right. And and you actually have a, a very incredible board. You have a very well-positioned, a very supportive board. I've met several of them. Tom Ridge, a prior governor of Pennsylvania. You've got Robert David Hall. And I, I used to watch him on, on uh, was, it was CSI, right? Um, yeah. When, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. CSI. He yeah, was the he coroner. Was the, he was the yeah the medical uh, director of the corner. Um, yeah. I loved him then, mm-hmm. and I've met him now personally, and and he's he's a lot of fun actually. And Luke Visconti, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Luke, yeah. he he's he's got an ornery streak to him, but he's just so much fun, and you can't help but like that. That's man. why we love him. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And Luke yeah. Visconti, I remember being at a Diversity Inc. conference way, or actually was a um, another affirmative action conference way back when, and in. Um, he was the speaker, the main uh, keynote speaker from Diversity Inc. Mm-hmm. How would you say that their support has helped guide your mission as as it's um, matured? Mm. Well, I love Candy that you mentioned uh, these individuals and uh, and who they are as people. Because first and foremost, this is a group of incredibly dedicated and committed people, many of whom have a personal connection to disability in some cases because they have their own disability, in other cases for for family members. So they're very dedicated, very passionate, and 
unlike what many corporate boards do, they do not check their uh, incisive questions or sometimes tough questions. They don't check them at the door mm-hmm. when they come to a mission-oriented uh, organization like NOD. They take those same uh, tough questions uh, and that same uh, need for focus and need for results. They bring them to all the work that we do. But the most important part is that we laugh a lot. This is a board that loves hanging out together. They love having the dinners the night before the meeting. They enjoy being together. There's a lot of laughs. There's a lot of just fun. And it's so important for an organization to have that in order to thrive and and hold its board members. Yeah, and I think that adds to the trust in one another as well um we you know our our board has a lot of fun together but i think that trust um and support needs to kind of go hand in hand and it sounds like you have that as well so yeah very much and that's that's incredibly important yeah and respect exactly yeah so so let's let's talk about you guys have so many services and and i think the the important thing we i want to talk first about your corporate leadership council of which we're a part and i'm really excited to be part of that um and i know you've got several events and obviously they've been kind of hampered with with the um pandemic but i know things are still moving forward um Mm -hmm. why don't you tell me a little bit more about the corporate leadership council like how many employers participate what the benefits are and how other employers can get involved you know it's a group of 50 employers now uh it's a group that has grown over the last several years when i came uh, there were about 20 members so we've we've more than doubled and we now seek to yet double again oh wow okay get to 100 companies over the next three to five years okay so listeners Uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's a place where not only is there a lot of networking uh, a lot of opportunities for people to learn from each other people to profile their own work and to listen to the profiles of others and learn from them Uh, to get free consulting services from us. Our uh, professional services staff uh, is among the best in our field, and we uh, provide some of those services for free for uh, Corporate Leadership Council members. A complete download of the Disability Employment Tracker, which I know we'll talk about a little bit. Mm -hmm. But it's a wonderful tool for a company that wants to measure uh, its own progress in disability workforce inclusion. Uh, There's access to our members-only portal uh, on our website. But I think the most important thing that the Corporate Leadership Council does as a group is we have the difficult conversations. We have the conversations that people are sometimes skittish uh, about talking about openly. Uh, Yet we need those conversations because Disability is still shrouded in stigma, and there's so much attitude change that has to happen uh, before, you know, I think people with disabilities are treated uh, like every other member of society. So we have those difficult conversations. And the other thing we do is we talk about what's next. And uh, in such a rapidly evolving field as we are in, we together, direct employers and NRD, uh, working with employers to help them build uh, a disability-inclusive workforce. We always want to talk about where the next innovation is going to come from. 
And that's perhaps along with the difficult conversations. I see that as one of the most important reasons for a company to get involved with our corporate leadership council. Well, you know, we're starting a disability um, roundtable masterclass, and we're focusing on major disabilities each month of the year. <clears throat> and that's one of the things that I've been talking about is asking those difficult questions, having the ability to ask, and I'm, I'm putting this in quotes, you can't see it, but, you know, the stupid questions, you know, I mean, and, and, and mm -hmm. not be embarrassed because you don't know. And I think that exactly. that is the most important piece, I think, of the uh, Corporate Leadership Council, because you can ask people and they're not going to laugh at you, you know, and, and exactly. you can just say, I need help and I know I don't know the right answer to this and please forgive me if I say this wrong, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. and, and without being made to feel like you're, you know, not a not a good human because you don't know any better. But I think that's yeah. that's what people need. That's what employers need is to have mm -hmm. a, a resource where they can ask the dumb questions, you know. Exactly, Candy. And you so. know, I think the the good news story for our field is that We've managed to attract a group of employers that is incredibly generous with their time, that I've, understands the yep. questions that you've just raised, that understands that uh, that people don't, you know, people with disabilities have been have 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 not been seen nor heard uh, from in most of modern society. If you if you're a wheelchair user, you, there were no curb cuts, and again, if you had a, a mental health or another uh, invisible disability, you were often sent away to an institution. And so mm -hmm. for most of modern history, uh, we don't have a lot of experience, direct experience with disability. So there is a lot of questioning and uncertainty and just sort of basic uh, etiquette questions. And the good news is I think that there's, there are a group of employers that have been through it, that have come out the other side, that have done it well, and they're very, very happy to share their experiences and take others by the hand and help them uh, on this journey. Well, you know what, Carol, this is one of those situations where I say, um, you know what, if, if things can improve for other employers, then we all win. You know, I mean, it, it, so true. It, because it doesn't have to be, you know, us against them. You know, we, we want every employer to hire <laughs> more qualified mm -hmm. people with disabilities. So that's where that exchange allows everybody to win, you know, and yeah. I think that's the, that's the real benefit in all of this. So, and some of the fiercest competitors, um, we have some on our own board. Some of the fiercest <laughs> competitors will join together, um, take each other by the hand and, and lead down this path um, of exploration and, and sort of this voyage of discovery. And they understand that while they may compete in the marketplace, uh, and in some ways they compete for talent, uh, they can also attract better talent by making the pie bigger and working together to attract even more people with disabilities into the workforce. So let me ask, can they contact, how do they, how do they reach out to NOD and, and let you know if they have an interest in getting involved? Sure, go to our website, www.nod.org, go to Corporate Leadership Council, and it'll take you right to the place that you can sign up or reach out to one of our staff 
to learn more about the council. Or they could always contact us here at Direct Employers. and Or contact talk to, you, yeah, for exactly. sure. exactly. All right, all right. Well, probably one of the things that I really want to have you talk about is probably my favorite tool that you guys offer, and that's the Disability Employment Tracker. And it's a free mm-hmm. t- it's a free tool. The free <laughs> um, tool. One of the we, only things that's free. I, I know, <laughs> but my anymore, right? goodness, it's, it's one of the most... Um, beneficial tools that that is out there and we encourage our members constantly to take advantage of this each year um can you tell us when it was first introduced what its purpose is and how it differs from other similar tools in the industry because we all know that there are some out there so tell us tell us all about the disability employment tracker yeah thank you candace um we developed this tool the tracker is a survey got about a hundred questions on it. it takes about two hours to complete uh the results are confidential they're sent to each individual employer uh, along with a scorecard that tells you where you are and stack up against the others in the pool it is a benchmarking tool uh and um we developed it about nine years ago because we again you know i think the disability Disability rights um, as a pursuit and disability as a diversity segment. You know, we're sort of the new the new kids on the block. <laughs> we haven't, you know, we haven't been uh, at the diversity table for very long. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've we've been left out in many respects. And as we try to catch up, it becomes really important to be able to speak about measurement and numbers and to be able to talk about disability inclusion as a business imperative uh, and not simply as a social justice issue, but as an issue of talent and what a company needs to do to attract the very best talent of every skill and every ability. And so we thought it was important to speak not only subjectively, uh, about workforce inclusion, um, but also to give employers a quantitative measure of how they stack up. And businesses love competition. They thrive <laughs> on it, and they're certainly used to it. So we, uh, our theory was if you develop a benchmarking tool that allows companies to measure its progress against that of other companies, and over year over year, if they can measure their progress, uh, along their own trend lines, that we would be able to advance the field a lot more quickly. We started this nine years ago. We had uh, 20 companies and then 40 companies for a few years. And then in the last three or four years, we've had more than 200. Oh, wow. That gives companies a terrific quantitative measure. It's not NOD coming in and saying, subjectively, even though we think we think we know what's needed, <laughs> but it's not <laughs> just us coming in and, and subjectively giving our views about what an employer needs to do. It's purely quantitative. It's all about the data. Okay. So, I mean, what, so they, they get a scorecard, like a benchmarking scorecard, then do they, what do they do with those results? And what do you do with those results? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, in the scorecard, 
we look and and you ask Candy what makes this different from other similar kinds yes. of tools. Yes. This is strictly about workforce. It's a hundred percent devoted to disability workforce inclusion and practices that relate to talent, practices that relate to people, practices that relate to climate and culture and strategy and metrics and all of those areas are profiled in a scorecard that an employer gets after uh, taking the tracker and getting the results back from us. So you get to see along all of the questions in the survey or in a scorecard around all the, the different areas of workforce inclusion, you get to see how you stack up against uh, the other 199 companies who take the survey. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Com- companies will still uh, often look at the sector in which they operate. And so we have a, an ability to slice up the data and compare you. Uh, if you're in manufacturing, you want to see how you do against other companies in that sector, uh, you can get that assessment from us as well. So it's a snapshot of where you are at any given point in time against others in the pool. Over time, what a lot of companies do is, uh, because the survey, enough of the survey stays the same from year to year, a company can chart its own progress and its own trends year over year. A lot of companies uh, do that, and um, they will use it. you You can use it as a way of developing your own strategy, you can use it as a way of gaining buy-in for your agenda uh, from other parts of the company, from senior leaders, from those in a position to allocate dollars to uh, disability inclusion. So uh, it, it gives a company its own trend and then its, its status against others. And then finally for us, and this is the most exciting part I think for me, is it gives us a sense of what's happening in the whole field. Mm -hmm. So when we take the 200 companies and we aggregate those results and we look year over year at what's happening in this marketplace, we can start seeing where the trends are. And what we've been able to do now, and this year I'm so excited about the latest uh, development with the tracker is that we're adding outcome measures. We're adding uh, self-ID uh, has been the, mm-hmm. the outcome measure <laughs> that we have looked at year over year. It's what federal contractors care about. It's what everybody cares about. How many people in your workforce, what percentage is willing to come forward and identify as having a disability? Well, you know so, what? Yeah, I think that, honestly, Carol, um, mm-hmm. I think that... The, the most important piece of that is building the culture so that people feel okay with saying, yes, I have a disability. You know, exactly. that that's the holdup. And, and, you know, I had to self-identify a few years ago when I went to Cardinal Health, and that gave me a real heartache because I knew if I was mm-hmm. going to lead the, the compliance group, I had to say, yes, I'm, I'm a person with a disability. And mm-hmm. I had a real hard time with that because I live with the condition. Yeah. It's I don't I don't like the word disability myself. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like everybody has their own you know terminology, whether it's you know race and ethnicity, gender now, and you know, I mean everybody has their own um, terminology. And 
I just live with a condition, you know, and, and so mm-hmm. I think that was a real challenge for me. But, you know, um, if your company is open and accepting and makes you feel like you're no different from anybody else, you know, that makes all the difference in the world. It really does. Exactly. I think so. you've, you've really put your finger on something important because I'll give you a data point. About 65% of the companies who took the tracker survey last year reported that they had a self-ID campaign going on at some point in the year. And that's, you know, that's a big number. Mm-hmm. And it's expensive. Self-ID campaigns are very expensive. Oh, yeah. Less than... 50% of the companies who had these self-ID campaigns reported increases in self-ID as a result of the campaign. So you've got expensive campaigns, almost two-thirds of the companies in the pool mount them, and fewer than half report success. Now, why is that? And it gets back to what you're talking about, Candy. Mm-hmm. It's about trust. It's about does an employer only come forward and want to know who I am once a year during a campaign? Or does an employer really want me to bring forward who I am, help me get the accommodations I need, not judge me and not negatively sanction me? Because I have a disability. Well, I'm a I'm a real fan of bringing your whole self to work, whether it's yes. you know whatever characteristic you know a, a person might have as part of themselves. I I'm a, a a huge fan of bringing your whole self to work. So let me yeah. ask you let me ask you um, about one other piece of the tracker. Um, once the tracker's completed. The employers that participate mm-hmm. are considered for the NOD leading disability employer seal and also the Disability mm-hmm. Inc. Top 50 Companies for Diversity program. So why don't you tell me about that designation, what those acknowledgements mm-hmm. mean, and how they get there? Sure. Um, this diversity Inc. has made uh, taking the tracker survey a requirement for any company that wants to be considered to be in its top 50 companies for diversity. Oh, okay, okay. It's a very, you know, it's kind of a coveted award. Mm-hmm. And uh, usually, until the pandemic, uh, it's <laughs> awarded at a gala at Cipriani's in New York. Oh, the wow. red carpet and everything. And uh, it's, yeah. okay. it's, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful celebration of the beauty of diversity. It's just wonderful. Uh feel very privileged to have been able to go and to announce the top uh, 10 companies for disability every year. Wow. So that's Diversity Inc. What NOD does, though, uh, with tracker takers who will opt in, and most most tracker takers will opt in, is we award the leading disability employer seal to the top quartile of all companies who take the tracker. And we only award it to the top quartile because we want it to be competitive. We want to only reward the very, very top companies in disability workforce inclusion. And we knew that if that was our goal, we had to be pretty selective. And we knew that we could not make the award to any more than 200 companies are taking it. No more than 50 will be. Uh, will win the seal. 
Okay. So by definition, it's very competitive uh, and it's something that uh, it gives employers uh, a goalpost uh, for those who really want to be uh, leaders among their peers. So Carol, is there any requirement uh, to take the, the tracker or to be considered for any of these awards? I mean, does it have to be a company of a certain size or... Um, I mean, can any company take it? You know, any company can take it. It usually winds up that it's larger companies who have the investments in systems that it often takes. For example, if you want to track the number or percentage of applicants uh, for jobs who have a disability and who disclose a disability, uh, and of course, as a federal contractor, you're required to ask. Um, it turns out that it's larger companies often who have the capital to invest in those types of applicant tracking systems. But more and more smaller companies are doing it and more and more smaller companies are taking the tracker and that's a very exciting development for us because we know that's where so many of the jobs are is in smaller uh, businesses. And it's nice to have a free tool that we can offer to a smaller company who doesn't have the investment uh, it takes to, uh, you know, get highfalutin when it comes to uh, to disability workforce inclusion. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, it's, you know, when I look at where we were 20 years ago to where we are today, the improvements are massive. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's it, I was just having a conversation right before we, we sat down to do the podcast, I, I'm, I'm that person that no matter how good you are, you can always be better. <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and that's, you know, no matter how good uh, companies get at, at, you know, building their culture, you know, creating disability inclusion, creating diversity inclusion. Um, mm-hmm. And to me, disability in- inclusion is part of the bigger diversity and inclusion Piece, yes, you know. and it's, it's heartening, um, and I don't know if this has been your observation as well, Candy, but we're seeing some spillover from the heightened awareness of inequities in this country around race oh, yeah. oh, and yeah. around class. We are also seeing a heightened sensitivity, especially when you combine that with a greater acceptance of telework now, which mm-hmm. is something that we in the disability community have been fighting for for years, suddenly it's become, oh yeah, of course, <laughs> you know. Before it was, no, you have to look people in the eye, you have to have human contact. Now it's, oh yeah, you want to telework, fine. Do you know and what, so, oh, go ahead. Yeah, Sorry. no, go ahead, go well, ahead, I was Andy. just gonna say when, when the um, Section 503 regs and the VEVA regs were updated in March of 2014, I sent a letter to the OFCCP and recommended that they put something in their in their FAQs about remote work and listing jobs mm-hmm. for remote workers. And I even I still have the email, and I said remote work is absolutely perfect for people with disabilities, mm-hmm. especially people who need additional care to get ready and and things like that. You know, because there are those folks yep. who are perfectly capable of working, but just their their caretaker you know, has to be considered as well. And for remote work, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's brilliant, yeah. you know. So hopefully yeah. that will be another big improvement 
um, as a result of this pandemic that has certainly mm-hmm. changed our lives, I, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I do think it's one of the silver linings there, you know, and then you have smaller things like um, people who are blind who are saying the first time they can read a menu in a restaurant, right? Because oh, yeah. the pandemic necessitated uh, scanning your, your, the menu into your, uh, into your iPhone. Oh, I think that's brilliant. Uh, and then you yeah. can use a, a screen reader. <laughs> who, you know, who thinks about what it is like to walk into a restaurant and have to have somebody else read the menu to you? Oh, yeah. Uh, and that's what independence is about, is not having to have that. And so, yeah, there are so many uh, so many unseen advantages uh, or, or silver linings, I guess, that, uh, that the pandemic has brought. And, and one of them, I think, is just a heightened awareness of inequities generally, not just around race, but generally. Oh, right. No, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about another service you offer, and it's called the Disability and In- Inclusion Executive Briefing. So mm-hmm. that gives you a customized plan based on your tracker results. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that program, Carol? Sure. You know, um, if you're at the entry level and you're not uh, at the point yet of making an investment, you can learn a lot from the scorecard. But what the scorecard doesn't give you, that is the tracker scorecard, what it doesn't give you is a plan with priorities, with short, medium, and longer-term goals. It doesn't give you quantitative goals to set fees up. And many companies find it helpful to have us come out and sit with them. And oftentimes, groups of people that they gather that include legal and compliance and communications, as well as HR and DEI, uh, but that can bring people together and use the tracker to set a plan in place. And that's really what an executive briefing is. Okay. It takes the results and it translates them into a customized uh, template, really, uh, for for a plan for a company. And that's a Not expensive. Okay. It's- and, uh, it's a personalized plan yeah. for that particular company then, right? And that, you yes. say it's, there is a charge, but it's not expensive. So that would be probably money That's very right. well spent. <laughs> it is money well spent. It can save other money. Uh, yeah, I just gave you a piece of data about tracker campaigns. I mean, about self-ID campaigns. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, you can save a lot of money by investing in other types of activities that promote trust among your workforce uh, that will help people feel safe coming out and identifying uh, with a disability. Okay. So it can, it can keep you out of trouble in some ways, prevent uh, investments that might not yield results, while also giving you a positive uh, plan for the future. Well, it sounds like a no-brainer to me. So I'm going to uh, make sure that we really push push this um, in our Disability Roundtable Masterclass and also in our um, e-news for our members, and, and we're going to push this even more this year. <laughs> um, terrific. So, terrific. Yeah, so, well, you know, we always kind of try to take care of our, our, our friends at NOD, and I know you guys mm-hmm. do the same for us. So. Oh, and you're wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> um, I hope your employers know how wonderful you are, Candy. Oh. <laughs> your leadership. Uh, and and it, it's a very human, very empathetic, um, but very insightful kind of leadership. I hope your members appreciate that. Oh, thank you, uh, What Carol. they have in you oh. and, and in the organization and the talent that you attract. 
Oh well, I, I always the probes. I couldn't I couldn't do it without the team that we have at DE. I'm yeah. I'm I'm pretty fortunate. So, but thank you very very much for your kind words. That was unexpected and very much appreciated. So, um, I wanted to mention we. And I don't know if you read our Week in Review. I hope you do. Um, but recently, we just, um, in our one of our blog posts, we featured the disability employment maturity curve. So if you, yeah. were, if you were to break down the demographic from exploration to competitive advantage, what stage would you say that most employers that you work with start in initially? Yeah, and um, the other beauty of having the aggregate results that we have in the tracker is we can look at the field as a whole, and I can tell you that the four stages are exploration, compliance, confidence, and competitive advantage. And I'm going to say three or four, as, as late as three or four years ago, most companies were somewhere between exploration and compliance. You know, it wasn't that long after the 503 rule change had been put into effect, so it's taken some time as a field for companies to move from exploration to compliance. But I think where we are today is much closer towards uh, competence. And that is beyond compliance, we're doing more than just checking boxes. Uh, We're doing more than simply setting goals for ourselves. But we're moving to a place where it's a C-suite topic, where there are ERGs in place that have the resources where they can really get some things done where there are specific hiring targets and specific relationships with the disability uh, sourcing agencies that can help you meet your talent needs. All of that goes into competence. And I'm thrilled to see as many companies as we have that are moving much closer towards competence. Where we have to go next, of course, is competitive advantage. When a company understands that this is not just about inclusion uh, because it's a, a good thing to do, but where they understand that it's an important investment to make in a skilled and able uh, workforce, and that's where you get the competitive advantage. Well, it increases uh, that's their bottom where, line. It, it increases exactly. their bottom line. And that's exactly. right there's <laughs> a, you know, a dollar value added to your bottom line, and that's a competitive yeah. advantage. So. Yeah, yeah. You know, HR has, has so often been relegated to being a cost center and mm-hmm. not a revenue center. A necessary center. evil, as I said to someone earlier today. <laughs> uh, unless it's what? A necessary evil. <laughs> a necessary evil, exactly. <laughs> but like all necessary you're not going to put a lot of time and money into it. But I think more and more companies are seeing uh, acquisition of diverse talent as a bottom line issue. And... Uh, we don't even have to prove it. We don't have to do spend a lot of money showing uh, the correlation anymore, the correlation between profitability uh, and, and doing the right thing by your workforce. So well, as that comes more, more common and more accepted, we're going to see more and more companies moving uh, higher up the maturity curve. Well, you know, it, it's funny because <clears throat> years ago it used to be well, disability wasn't really important to the C-suite until you know, if it was a male, his wife developed breast cancer, or if it was a woman, she developed breast cancer, or you know had a had a family member with with some form of disability. But that mm-hmm. is gradually changing, you know, and and it's not it's not 
something that that people in the C-suite are ignoring any longer. At least that's what mm-hmm. I'm seeing. And and you yeah. know, I, I receive questions all the time about ERGs, and you know, I always talk about. Um, you know, having an ERG where you don't just limit it to people with disabilities, for instance, or just veterans or whatever, but include advocates of those mm-hmm. various characteristics, you know, and, and um, I have lots of huge story or wonderful stories to tell um, with our disability advocates uh, network that we had at Cardinal Health and, and people that were mm-hmm. part of the, the organization and, you know, ask me about recruiting because recruiting diabetics because they knew I had diabetes, you know, and, and, you know, it's, it's interesting how much information sharing goes on in those types of, of um, organizations and, and, you know, the activities that, that people in ERGs can take on. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I just think that there's, there's so much um, to be learned from each other, like we talked about earlier, you know, yeah. and, and so okay. hopefully we'll move and forward. You know, I- I have a a psychiatric diagnosis. Um, I was diagnosed eight years ago with post-traumatic stress disorder, something that I had sort of combated for a good part of my adult life. Uh, And it's very common, as it turns out, with mothers of children who have chronic medical issues and are in and out of the hospital a lot, as I have been with my son Jacob. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we talk about what's coming as the the issues of concern in the disability field, I think mental illness uh, is, is very fast becoming one of the big ones. And I use the term mental illness intentionally. We tend to talk about mental health. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference between mental health and poor mental health and a diagnosable uh, physical mental illness. And I think part of the reason we, we talk about mental health is it's less stigma. Stigma. It's less, exactly what I was just going right. to say. You know, I've done a lot of writing about this um, because, you know, parental PTSD is a thing. It's a diagnosis. About 30% of all children in this country will have some type of acute medical issue for which they'll be hospitalized. And half of their mothers will have either anxiety or depression, a combination, or post-traumatic stress disorder. It's a phenomenon that we've become increasingly aware of through the pandemic because so many women are caregivers Mm -hmm. um, and they're trying to work at home at the same time. But it's really been sort of a little-known phenomenon. And uh, many of us who experience it feel ashamed or... We feel that, you know, it's nothing compared to combat trauma. You know, you look at veterans who are coming back mm-hmm. uh, from from the wars, and, you know, they're the ones who really have trauma. My son being in the hospital, in and out of the hospital, isn't that, doesn't measure up. Well, you know what? It does. It, and you know uh, what? And it takes its, its toll. And it's a personal thing. And, you know, I mean, it's like... You can have a car accident and get post-traumatic stress or TBI. You know, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's exactly. just on, on how you respond to various things that are, you know, that you have to face or that you have to deal with. So, um, you know, that's why I say some of the um, disabilities that we're focusing on this year are, are meant to help employers, you know, know how to address 
various issues like post-traumatic stress or, or traumatic mm-hmm. brain injury. So, mm-hmm. um, wow. So um, let's let's skip forward here. Uh, we just signed a letter of support uh, with, with NOD for a research proposal. And um, hopefully you can share a little bit about the, the potential research opportunity and what that would mean. Well, we're so excited about this, Tammy. We're so thrilled that direct employers have signed a letter of support for it. Uh, this is a five-year research grant, and uh, we have gone in with a proposal joined with Syracuse University, the, the Burton Blatt Institute. Peter Blank is a very well-respected disability employment researcher, uh, and Doug Cruz, uh, who is at Rutgers University, uh, also has done some tremendous research. And the opportunity here is to link practices to outcomes. Meaning, we pretty much have a good idea of what we think works in order to expand your, your disability workforce and to better support uh, those with disabilities who are already there. But we have no definitive way of pointing to the practices that get the best outcome. And that's the benefit of research. This is a five-year grant. So we'll be able to go in and look through the tracker at the companies who have good outcomes and be able to correlate the practices that lead to those outcomes. But it's only a correlation. So we will not be able to say for sure, if you have a centralized accommodations fund, you're going to get more people coming forward asking for accommodations and therefore performing better. Uh, We just think it's true. And we can see some correlations. What this is going to enable us to do as a field is what so many other fields have done, whether it's education or healthcare. You have actually, you know, we talk a lot about evidence based. This is going to enable the field for the first time ever to accumulate the data and draw the correlations and draw the, you don't want to use prevalent research terms, but causation mm-hmm. and really show if you do X. You're going to get better engagement, better advancement, longer-term uh, retention, and better attraction of people uh, with disabilities to apply for your job. And that's what employers want. Well, and they and want I, yeah, definitive data. Exactly, and and I tell our our members all the time: you are legally able to focus or target your hiring on people with disabilities because disabilities don't discriminate. You'll find every protected class in the disability space, every single one, every single one, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and and you'll get veterans too. (laughs) I mean, you get every single category. So, um, so this is just going to be a shout out again to get in there and take that disability employment tracker because even future results could, could uh, rely on, on what you find. So, I think you're in a similar situation with with NOD as I am with direct employers. What would you share as far as the um, next steps for NOD? What's what's next mm-hmm. on the horizon for you guys? Well, we have we have eight years worth of data from the tracker now, and that data is a gold mine in being able to advance the state of, of practice for employers. 
And so we are redoubling our efforts to um, take that data and really start pushing out what we can learn from the data that help employers better pinpoint their investments in disability workforce inclusion. So that's one big piece, and that's where this research grant fits in and other uh, research that we're doing in partnership with a wonderful HR data analytics firm called Telmetrics. But the second thing that we want to do is we really want to double. We want to get to about 200 companies taking the tracker for 400. And we want to get from 50 companies in our corporate leadership council to 100. It's a very small number when you think of the Fortune 500 or the Fortune 1000. Uh, and it's a relatively uh, costly, very costly sector and relatively inexpensive oh, yeah. uh, way for companies to advance along the curve. So those are the two big ones. Uh, we we, uh, we want to deal with the digital divide, which has become clearer now during the pandemic and with an increasing reliance on technology. We've seen the limitations of Zoom and other technologies that uh, are likely to, to, to stay after the pandemic. And we want to deal with mental illness in the workplace because we know that's going to be on the rise as well. Oh, I, and I again, yeah, yeah. I, I've I've reminded our employees every month at our at our monthly staff meetings, you know, to take advantage of our EAP, and you know, it's yes. I, I constantly tell them I don't see the results, I see the numbers, and they have increased. But you know, it's for employees, it's for um, families, and it's free. So if you have yes. issues with, you know, I know I'm very extroverted. But, you know, I, I, I don't have, you know, I don't deal with anxiety or depression, but, boy, I can see that if you already, and, and even if you don't, you might get, you know, to a point where you just have to talk to, to somebody, you know, or yeah. something. So, and there's no shame in that. And I think that that's where I, I try to remind people, take advantage, get the help that Absolutely. you, you might, might need, because, you know, sometimes it's just having somebody to, to listen, you know, and to just say, you know what? You're not alone. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, if if you're in a position uh, in a company where you're responsible for the EAP or you're uh, investing in the EAP, make sure the people in the EAP are adequately trained to diagnose mental illness, to know that's where a to good send point. people. Yeah. They, you know, they're not necessarily going to be um, the psychiatric help that you need or the um, uh, psychotherapeutic help that you need. Uh, I'm not psychopharmacological. That's a great word. That's a big <laughs> word for medicine. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those words that you know they, they write it out and it's like, okay, how do I say that again? <laughs> right. Uh, but but fortunately, there you know it's, it's very inexpensive to treat mental illness nowadays between therapy and between medicine. Um, now the EAP cannot really take care of all of those needs, but they certainly, if they're well-trained and they can recognize and, and spot and diagnose, they know where to send you. Exactly. Just make sure that, they can, that they're adequately trained. Yeah, get you the help that you need or at least direct you in the in the right you know, area. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, Carol, this has been so much fun connecting today. Um, we do a, a, a fun activity at the very end of our podcast, So, um, and to end it on a high note, 
So we like to incorporate a little fun into the mix of education. Sounds good. I've been having fun. I don't know about you, Candy. Oh, I have. I'm sitting here (laughs) smiling to myself. So, uh, (laughs) but I'm going to ask you five rapid fire questions. So I'm going to just ask you a simple question. And all you need to do is just say the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Yep. All right. What's the most important thing you've learned in life? You got to go slow to move fast. Ooh, I like that. Where do you derive inspiration? My son, Jacob, whose test says mildly mentally retarded on standardized IQ tests, but he's one of the smartest people I've ever known. Uh, you know, I knew I knew you were going to say your son. I knew that. So that's good. <laughs> good for you. Okay. Early bird gets the worm or complete night owl? No, anybody who knows me, and you're one of those people, Candy, will see through them on emails. You know it's night owl. Unless you <laughs> want to call that early in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a good answer. That was a good answer. I like that. <laughs> Okay, what is the fa- what's your favorite thing about your career? Oh, it's the people. Um, and uh, Sunday Candy, another one for, for later, but I was sent in 1985 to hire Barack Obama oh, to work wow. for the Any Poverty Organization that I worked for. Oh, I sat gosh. across the table from him, and I offered him a job, and he flatly turned me down because <laughs> he said he had bigger plans. <laughs> and I got to tell him that story. In nineteen in two thousand and thirteen. Seriously? <laughs> so, oh that's people like that have been in my life and I'm so fortunate. Oh that's yeah. great. That's a great story. I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> so last but not least, are you an introvert or an extrovert, Carol? Are you kidding me? I haven't stopped talking <laughs> on your call phone call. You get what do you think? I you and I are the same. Exactly. Right? We're both extroverts. So that's probably why we get along so well. <laughs> we yeah, that is for sure. Oh gosh. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, Carol. It's been a pleasure, oh, a pleasure. participating in NOD events and becoming a part of the Corporate Leadership Council. And as a person with an invisible disability myself, I see your work as truly inspiring and done in a manner. Uh-huh. Oh, I mean that. I really do. And, and the work that you do is done in a manner that allows us all to learn from one another and grow together as a community. NOD, and you're not even reading that. <laughs> bits and pieces. <laughs> bits and pieces. But, <laughs> but you guys offer so many opportunities to um, advance disability inclusion for you know employers within their organizations. And, and for those who are listening, I highly encourage you to connect with Carol and the team at NOD to do just that. If our listeners would like Thank to connect, how can they get in touch with your team, Carol, to start those conversations? Just by www.nod.org. Okay, all right. Go to contact us. Okay, okay. I strongly recommend that they do that. And we have a lot of people that ask a lot of questions about about what to do with regard to employees with disabilities, or you know how to how to learn about disability etiquette. And I know that. Howard Green is one of my favorite people on on the earth, and he's now retired, but still doing some consulting for you. And I know that he did yeah. um, training for the United Nations on disability etiquette. Correct? Yeah, he yeah. did. Yeah, for sure. yeah. So yeah. this is the group to talk to, folks. So, um, all right, Carol, I'm going to um, let us end up at that at with that high note, and um, I, I truly love this, Carol. 
you for tuning in for another episode of the DE Talk podcast. Stay connected with direct employers on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast to receive notifications of new episodes each month.